0: Hello and welcome to Crime Theories of the Record, the podcast series where I talk about my interpretation of crime theories. This is your host, Karen. In today's episode, I'll be introducing you to control theory. I know we have explored the Chicago School and some of the ecological theories of crime. But today, we will continue bantering into crime and delinquency. Most criminologists have taken conformity for granted as part of the natural order of things and have concentrated on trying to explain the quote-unquote crime problem. But before I jump into this, I would like to remind everyone that I have done some research on the topic but don't consider myself an expert in every aspect of my field. As we have been hearing since the genesis of this podcast series, they have found their explanations in spirits and demons, in theories tracing the non-conformity to individual factors such as biological abnormalities or personality defects, or in theories tracing the non-conformity to social factors such as social disorganization, subcultural traditions, and inequality of opportunity. All of these being factors presumed to operate so as to distort the natural order of conformity, but is conformity really the natural order of things or to what extent should it be taken for granted? Take a moment to sit with the thought. By the time a person is a certain age, they speak a certain language shared by others, drive a car in general obedience to traffic regulations, avoid urination or defecation in public, and in most other ways, quote-unquote, goes along with social norms. All this tends to be taken for granted, but the evidence indicates that it is not at all natural. In fact, great effort is expended by parents, teachers, and the individual involved in a concerted attempt to produce these results. View it this way, all of this conformity is a striking thing much in need of explanation. That is the focus of control theory, which takes the position that because conformity cannot be taken for granted, non-conformity such as crime and delinquency is to be expected when social controls are less than completely effective. And it makes sense. Control theory is not so much a theory of deviance as a theory of conformity. It does not ask the question of why do people commit crimes and acts of delinquency. Rather, it suggests that crime and delinquency are going to happen Unless people conform to all of the social demands placed on them and then ask, why do people conform? That is, if crime is gratifying, fun, exciting, physically enjoyable, emotionally satisfying, and so on, why don't individuals just break the law? Off the record, and in the record, I'm not saying that the behavior is condoned, but that logically the question shifts with the perspective. From this perspective on human nature and social order, the potential gratifications offered by crime and delinquency will be resisted only when cultural controls are operating effectively to prevent such behavior. Control theory has been at the center of American criminology for the better part of a century, but much of its appeal is the simplicity of its main theoretical premise, which is, when controls are present, Crime does not happen. And when controls are absent, crime is possible and often does happen, except for the fact that controlling crime can be measured independently and the strength of the relationship assessed empirically. There is a logical quality to this thought. The very existence of crime seems to be convincing evidence that controls have been rendered ineffective. Although the organizing premise of control theory is simple, no control permits crime. The perspectives that fall under the umbrella of the the control paradigm Offer a complex view of how control is linked to criminal conduct. Unfortunately, I won't cover all the scholars today, but will touch upon some scholars who have made great contributions to the field. It is under control theories that I will finally explore the work of Travis Hershey, arguably the most influential criminologist of the past half century. Hershey developed two dominant control perspectives first, his social bond theory, and then, in conjunction with Michael Gottfurthson, self control theory. Before embarking on this excursion, across control theory, it is important to focus on Durkheim and the Chicago School a bit longer. Both bodies of work remain rich sources of ideas about both human nature and social order. It is not surprising to find they also contributed much to the reconsideration of the basic assumptions about the relationship between human nature and social order. This school of thought marked the development of control theory. The origins of contemporary controlled theories of crime and delinquency are to be found in part in the work of French sociologist Emile Durkheim In the same body of theory that inspired Merton's analysis of anomie as a source of crime, which I have covered in previous episodes. Durkheim's work was a product of the late 19th century, a period that had seen a dramatic social change in the wake of the Industrial Revolution. He described anomie not simply as normalistness, but as the more or less complete collapse of social solidarity itself. The destruction of the fundamental bonds united individuals in a collective social order so that each person is forced to go with it. Technological change had combined with the rise of capitalism and the old world of agrarian society, in which farmers and herders live simply in face-to-face relationships with interest in common, was rapidly giving away to a more complex, urban, technologically sophisticated social system that we see now. The sense of community was being eroded, the large extended family consisted of many relatives working together was being torn apart and replaced with a new nuclear family of parents alone with their children, and the pace of life was accelerating with an increasing division of labor separating different individuals into occupational specialties. For Durkheim, writing in France later in the century, he of observe the moral order as more fundamental than the economic order. The idea of social solidarity can be said to represent almost a religion to Durkheim. Everything which is a source of solidarity is moral, and everything which forces men to take account of other men is moral. Everything which forces him to regulate his conduct through something other than the striving of his ego is moral and morality is as solid as its ties are numerous and strong, according to Durkheim. Taking all that into account, in Durkheim's view, social solidarity was maintained by two distinct sets of social functions, those involving integration and those involving regulation. Integration was described as a state of cohesion amounting to a common faith sustained by collective beliefs and practices, leading to strong social bonds and the subordination of self to a common cause. For Durkheim, collective activity was what gave purpose and meaning to life. When integrative functions failed, the collective force of society was weakened. Quote-unquote, mutual moral support was eroded, and there was a relaxation of social bonds leading to extreme individualism. Whereas Durkheim, 1897 and 1951 saw integration as the sum of various social forces of attraction, that drew people together, regulation was considered to be the sum of those forces of constraint that bound individuals to norms. Now, Durkheim argued that the constraining regulated functions became more important in an urban society with a complex division of labor. Following that train of thought, different individuals may be attracted to a common goal and may be very willing to submit to the authority of the social system, but their efforts must be coordinated properly if society is to function smoothly, which makes sense. This way, even if an individual wished to work with others toward a common social purpose, they might turn in a deviant direction if the norms regulating the common effort were perceived as unnecessarily, overly burdensome, or otherwise questionable. The social upheaval that so concerned Durkheim in France was repeated even more dramatically in the United States decades later. During the early years of the 20th century, and especially after World War I, The forces of technological change increased industrialization combined with the rise of the large corporation, and rapid urbanization was accompanied by massive waves of immigration. The development of the Chicago school with its emphasis on immigration and especially urbanization as the major forces of social change that were leading to crime through social disorganization, but the Chicago school mined a rich vein of ideas about human nature and the social order. This idea led some theories not toward a search for criminogenic forces in society that might be pulling or pressuring people away from their normal conformity, but rather toward controlled theories that refuse to take conformity for granted as a natural order of things, like some of the criminological theories discussed in past episodes. These controlled theories also were influenced by the social disorganization perspective, some explicitly and some implicitly. Among the various controlled theories, two related Chicago school themes remained central. The first had to do with interpretations of the nature of human nature, and the second one had to do with the nature of community. Regarding human nature, the Chicago school developed a line of thought that explained the self as a blending of a primal self and a social self, but the focus was on showing just how the social self was formed. The second related Chicago school theme, the study of community, was reflected in the work of Park and Burgess and in the studies of the spatial distribution of natural areas and conflicting cultural traditions undertaken by Shaw and McKay, which we have discussed early on when introducing the Chicago School in past episodes. There, the stress was on the idea of social disorganization. In addition to this approach, much of the social psychological emphasis in the works of different members of the Chicago School had to do with the possibility of such social disorganization through the collapse of community as a consequence of increasing social distance among individuals who refused to get close to one another. Worth, 1938, described as a problem of segmentation that separated people and made it impossible for them to relate to one another as total personalities. This theme emphasized the impersonality and anonymity of life in urban industrialized societies in which people in the community did not know or care about one another and preferred it that way. The descriptions sound like Durkheim's discussion of anime. Beyond the concern with the apparent decline of community at a municipal or neighborhood level, some working with the tradition of the Chicago school focus attention on an even more ominous strength, the apparent decline in the moral integration of the basic primary groups themselves. Even in the family, the most primary of all groups seemed to be losing its influence over its members. If this proves to be true, then it suggested not only social disorganization, but also personal disorganization resulting from fundamental problems in the formation of the personal self. It was out of this context of social transformation and sociological thought that the control theory was to emerge in criminology. To recap, the concept of social disorganization led different criminological theories, theories in different directions. Ideas of social disorganization could be seen in terms of how it created criminal cultures that when transmitted and learned motivated crime or in terms of a weakening of social controls that simply make crime and delinquency more possible. Considering all this, take this as a brief intro of control theories as I will go more into depth next week in hopes to give more context regarding this perspective and school of thought. And finally, introduce to Travis Hershey's theories. (laughs) Off the Record. This podcast series is brought to you by Encore. Thank you for listening and choosing this podcast. If you're loving what you're learning, follow us on Instagram at ct.offtherecord. That is at ct.offtherecord, where you can visualize some of these theories and get some scoops on upcoming episodes. Come join us and please rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening from. And don't forget to join me for next week's episode.